0: It is a pleasure to be with you. I've been here this week. I want to thank a lot of people who have really just made me feel at home. Uh, I know I've gained some weight because of the great cooking of Barb and the kitchen staff there. They did a wonderful job this week at camp. Um, I've enjoyed just being here and seeing Pastor Art in his element, and um, I've been able to, to have different interaction with him through the years uh, in ministry, but being able to be here uh, at his church where he's able to, to really just minister and to see him do that, to pour, pour out himself into the lives of those here. It is a joy to see him faithfully serve, and I know that you appreciate him and his wife and the ministry that they have here. Uh, I, I also appreciate, I know he's not here, Pastor Wayne... Um, He's known me since uh, I was a baby. You know, he could, he could be one of those people like, I held you. I don't know if he ever changed my diaper. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but he has known me my whole life. And uh, I, I greatly appreciate him and, and looking at him as one of the, um, I would say, mentors, individuals I can look at, uh, pastors who have been faithful And uh, who God has used in a mighty way. He's come out to our church. I think at least on two occasions, and and done uh, meetings at our church. Um, And and Pastor Art brought the the youth group out when I was in Illinois. When I was a senior pastor, became senior pastor about 10 years ago. And in those first few years, sort of kicking things off, it was a blessing to have him and your uh, some of your youth come and help in our vacation Bible school. And that has been a blessing to our church as well. Um, just recently, uh, Pastor Wayne and Deb really just ministered to my parents, and I appreciated them for that. And so I, I, I counted it a privilege to just be here amongst all of you, and, and really just to convey and God's Word and to glorify Him. And I hope that's your desire to this morning to just be fed from God's Word, and then just to learn from it, to draw closer to Him. To glorify him with your lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. I appreciate the, the music that has been chosen and, and even that was sung. Uh, I appreciate even hearing a song, especially just heard. And as I'm hearing that, I'm just thinking of different Bible passages. I don't know if that happens to you, but as you hear a, a theologically saturated song, that it connects you with texts of scripture. And thinking about God's grace and his strength, as we've looked at and focused serve of as a theme this morning, I was just reminded of Isaiah 40:29. Many people hold Isaiah 40, 31, maybe as a life's verse or a verse that has encouraged them. You know that Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. Walk and not, not faint. But, but two verses prior to that, Isaiah 40:29 says he gives power to the weak. To them that have no might, which is all of us, he increases strength. And it's just a reminder that, that our sustenance, our strength, everything we have is really from the hands of a gracious, good, and loving God. And so I praise him for who he is. And I hope that this morning that you'll be reminded and you'll be encouraged in the grace and the goodness of our Lord. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer this morning. We'll get into the text together. Father, I thank you for who you are. I praise you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, every good and every perfect gift, your word tells us, comes from above. From you, the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So, Father, we do praise you that we can rely upon you. We can turn to you. We can cast our cares and our burdens upon you because you care for us. You are always a very present help in times of trouble, and you provide a peace even in those times that passes all understanding, that can keep and preserve our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lord, we praise you and thank you for this time to gather, to lift up your name. For you're worthy of all praise, even as the angelic hosts continually surround the throne and proclaim your holiness. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege, even as wretched and sinful individuals, to come into your presence through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and to then offer praise and thanksgiving to you. We can hear from you. You are not a distant God that does not want to have a relationship that isn't intricately involved in our lives, but rather you desire to have an intimate, growing and flourishing relationship with us, and you tell us about yourself and your desire for our lives through your word, and we praise you and thank you for the, the ability we have to come and learn of you. For Father, you are the bread of life. You are the water of life. You sustain our soul. So we thank you for this time. May your Holy Spirit powerfully work through this time together. It is your name we pray for your glory. Amen. I think as individuals, many times we want more than we need. We are... Or selfish. And I think maybe a great example of this, it starts off really at a young age. I think of, first of all, my son. When I was thinking about this in illustration, my son, my son is now my oldest son. His name is Levi. He's 15. I have a younger son named Jared, and he's 12. And my oldest son, when he was younger, as an infant, he would devour food. He was like a, a chubby little vacuum. Okay? And um, we would, I remember feeding my son uh, when, when he started having, you know, uh, some food, like the baby food and, and that little oatmeal slop that you would uh, mix together. And it has no taste whatsoever, but he just wanted it. And I remember we would take the spoon, you know, and I'd be feeding him. And I'd, as soon as I'd stick it in his mouth, he would swallow it and open his mouth up for more, okay? And he, he would start crying, because he didn't have food in his mouth. So we'd like, start shoveling it even more. And he would close his mouth. He'd still have food in his mouth. And he would, he would be crying. Because he wanted more and more. And it would like, just shut your mouth and swallow. There's food there. He would and And, and that, you know, that, that picture. I think carries through. I, I think of. Uh, we, you know, we have some youth activities. And we've had some children's activities. And, and ma- many of you maybe have seen kids with a pinata. I don't know if you've ever done this. We we would do this a couple different times. We've learned our lesson now not to do this with our our young kids anymore, but we would have this piñata, and you'd fill the piñata with with a bunch of candy, right? And so you always have that one child who has the blindfold, and they're taking the whack at the piñata. And all the other kids are surrounding the piñata, just waiting in anticipation, right, for that piñata to crack open and the contents to spill out, Right? But there's always one unlucky child who has the blindfold on, and they're the ones that actually take a swing and crack the pinata open. Why do I say they're unlucky? Because they still have the blindfold on, right? And the minute that candy goes everywhere, the children don't think of their own well-being whatsoever, right? Because there's still a child in the middle with a blindfold on swinging this stick or bat or whatever it is through the air, and these kids just dive in, not caring for their well-being. I mean, they could be whacked in the head. go on. They just want three or four or ten pieces of candy. They don't even care about the kid who just opened it up. They're like, I want the candy all to myself. And so by the time... The child who had opened it up for all of them takes off the blindfold. There's like no candy left. There's pieces of piñata. That's about all they get. But the kids are just all thinking, I want this for myself. It really is a show and sign oftentimes of our hearts how we want more and more, more than even sometimes we need in life. The Israelites, I think back to the time, if you remember when the Lord provided manna for them in the wilderness. Remember he said, I will give you what you need. Each day you'll be able to go out and you'll be able to collect that morning for the food you need for that day. And you remember the first time that that happened, a whole bunch of Israelites, they they didn't demonstrate faith. They just went and said, oh, this is great. This is so good. And they collected a whole bunch, like a week's supply. And remember the Lord said, um, all you need is enough for that day. I'll give you more. But they didn't trust him. They, they accumulated. And what happened to all that man? It went bad, right? It the Bible says worms got in it and it wasn't uh, edible. Oftentimes we're, we're like that. And I think sometimes we're like that with God's grace We act as if God is not going to supply the sufficient amount of grace that we need. We want more. We want more from him. And God says, I will give you what you need. I will supply. I'm a good God. I will give it from my hand, sufficient for what you have and what you're facing in life. You're with me in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll see here in this text this morning, that God provides the amount of grace sufficient for our life. We could say it this way. God's portion of grace is always adequate for the adversity we face. Or in Nehemiah chapter 12. Begin reading in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore, afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lies in waste, and the gates there are consumed with fire? And the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. The king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, gave them the king's letters, now, the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there, ten, uh, there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down. and The gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then when I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned, and the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, the gates thereof are burned with fire, come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which was upon me, or which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn, despised us, and said, What is this thing that, that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them. And said to them, "The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore, we, His servants, will arise and build. But you, you, you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. If you know the the narrative here of Nehemiah, this is really right. The right after he had been um, burdened." Um, with the, the state of affairs in Jerusalem. Now, Ezra had gone back and rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah has this now desire to build the walls, to, to sort of help the city regain some strength and stability. So he's been burdened about this. He's been praying. And if you want a great study of, on prayer, you can look at, at the, the text here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, you have a wonderful prayer of Nehemiah. It's great to study as you look at his, his desire to, as he, he repents and pours out his heart to the Lord, seeking the Lord's strength. You have at the same time here in Nehemiah chapter 2 what I call a, a flare prayer, just a, a short prayer that he shoots up right before, right to the Lord. In verse 4, the king says, okay, what request are you making? Now, Nehemiah at this point doesn't say, uh, hold on, king, let me pray this whole little prayer, and it doesn't do that. He just, the Bible says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and said unto the king. There's a continual flow there. He, He said a silent, quick prayer like, Lord, just help me here. Give me wisdom. So at times, we have those times where we can just pray and times alone with God. There's times where we just make those quick, just dependent prayers on God. But Nehemiah has his heart to do the Lord's will. The Bible says that the Lord had laid on his heart to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls there. As we see in this text I want to point out this morning how God's grace was sufficient for Nehemiah in the task that he had. Verses 1 through 8 you could break it down this way in his audience with the king there was an answer to prayer. Verses 9 through 10 he arrived in Jerusalem and the Lord provided protection through that time. Verses eleven through sixteen, there's a task that as he analyzed the city, there was wisdom and the perception that that the Lord gave to him. And verses 17 through 20, there is this testimony or addressing the people, words of prosperity that he gives, and the Lord provided all of these things. God's good hand graciously provided and prospered one who was reliant. On him, And that rings true for us today. First thing we're going to see here is God graciously provided, as I said, these four areas, an audience with the king, arriving in Jerusalem, analyzing the city, and addressing the people. But we see this beginning in verses 1 through 8 as Nehemiah had been praying. He had been praying for God to just answer this prayer, and he wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Nehemiah, you can read later on in the text, Uh, As you go through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah himself was very prosperous, but he didn't have the financial means to do this huge project. He would have needed more help. So he had been praying, Lord, direct, Lord, give me guidance. How am I supposed to do all of this? And God answered prayer in his time. And I think that's an important statement to remember because oftentimes we have a very limited view of, as to what we want God to do. And oftentimes it's a very impatient approach to God. We, we pray to God. We want him to work right now. In the situation, the struggle that we're in, we, we cry out to our Lord and we look to him to answer, but we want him to answer on our time frame. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably come to the realization by now that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His timetable is definitely not our timetable. God does answer prayer, but he answers prayer in his time. Why? Because he knows what's best. He knows the, the greatest outcome that will bring him glory and do us good. It's interesting in this time, if you look at the beginning of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, right in the beginning, it talks about when Nehemiah heard about the the walls being broken down as he began then to pray. That was in the the month Chislu. Here we come to then Nehemiah chapter 2, and it's the month Nisan. That's a period of time that would have been three to six months later. So here Nehemiah has been praying for months for God to make it clear well, how am I supposed to do this? How, how is, is this task going to be accomplished? Lord, you've laid this on my heart. Now, now what? Do you ever feel that way? Like, okay, God, it seems this is what you want for me, but, but I'm not sure how this is going to work. God, you know, for a young person, we have some young people that are going to college. God, you, you might want me, I think you want me to this Bible college, but I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for it. God, I, I'm ready to make this decision, but I'm not sure how it's going to work out. God, God, I feel you're directing me to some element of ministry, but I don't feel adequate for it. You got to give me the strength. God answers prayer, but He did it in His time, and He did it not just in His time. He did it in His way. He did it in His way. We see in this text that God was behind the scenes, working the situation out. Nehemiah, when he went before the king that day, I don't believe he was planning on this working out in this manner. He was probably burdened. I'm sure he was burdened because the the Bible talks about how his, his countenance was sad, and it was weighing on him. Here he had been praying and fasting for months. This has been a burden on his heart. He's not sure how it's going to work out, and that is beginning to reveal itself in his physical appearance and his his demeanor. He's trying to remain joyful and upbeat, especially in the presence of the king. You did not want to look like you hated working for the king. That wasn't a good place to be. And here it's weighing on him, and it's it's visibly evident. And yet, God was behind that. See, God was totally in control of the situation, and He used Nehemiah to accomplish a task. What's even more wonderful here is when you think about this. So, yes, Nehemiah was his servant, was a follower of the Lord, but this king was not a follower of God, this was a pagan king. And here what we see is that God used a pagan king to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now this is, I don't know if we can grasp how, how amazing this is. There would have been no reason whatsoever for this king to give his own resources to go and rebuild a city that he had already conquered like, why would he go and rebuild the walls and the fortifications? Why would he go and rebuild and put his own money that they had already do, uh, overcome and accomplished and conquered? Why would they go out and rebuild what they had conquered? To maybe then, there'd be a resistance later on. like he, had, he would have then literally been giving ammunition or fortifications. To a possible rebellion. Like, that doesn't even make sense why he would do this. But God used a pagan king to display his providential hand behind this whole situation. Even as Nehemiah requests these things from the king. As the king says, okay, what do you request from me? And he says, okay, I would, I would like provision, and, and I would like letters of protection. And he, he gives these things. Those requests were the same requests, I'm sure, that he had requested of the Lord himself. Aren't those the same requests that we give to God? God supply our needs? God give us protection as we travel? Those same requests are what we give to our king. But well, if God could use a pagan king to answer these requests, doesn't he, shouldn't we find hope that the king of kings is going to answer our requests to him as his children? The Bible does, does say that that's what he'll do, right? He says, you, you, you don't request bread of me and I'm going to give you a stone. He's like, you, you ask of these things and I will care for you. You read in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ says you need to, to not worry about these things. Don't take thought for these things, because the Lord's going to provide for you. If he provides for the birds of the air, he provides for the grass of the field, he's going to provide for you. God provides. He answers prayer in his time, in his way. He, it showed that he was in control, and he brought it to completion. So all of this time, God was showing grace to Nehemiah. So he does it in his time and his way, and he does this ultimately for his glory. Why, Why do we have this account in Scripture? It's just like any account, honestly, in Scripture. is to bring glory to God. The fact that the pagan king would supply this, the fact that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, the Lord answered prayer, the fact that as you go throughout the whole narrative of Nehemiah, God's continual hand being evident in it, was to bring himself Glory. We need to come to that realization when we pray to our Lord that we remember that it's His will to be done, not ours. And perhaps the reason why some of our prayers aren't answered is because they're not in alignment with God's will for our life. His glory, His will, takes preeminence. So God does answer prayer. He does demonstrate grace, but He does it in His time, and His way, and for his glory, there's no doubt that his involvement was superintended throughout this text, throughout this event. Not only do we see his, his grace seen through the answer to prayer, but we also see how, how he provided protection to Nehemiah. Verses 9 and 10 talk about this as he comes, as he, he begins traveling with all of these goods. So, I mean, he has resources now at his disposal. He's taking them in this journey hundreds of miles. And he has to take these resources, also then go through this, where there could have been numerous different uh, raiding parties, different, uh, different dangers that he could have faced in this trek. He has protection. And God provided that for him. He did it through this. Two different ways, not just in the protection, but also in the provision. As he comes with these letters to the governors, he has this military around him. Just before that, he had all the resources in verse 8. And then in, in verse 10 as well, I'll point this out in just a moment, but let me just state this, that when God provides protection and provision, oftentimes he uses a variety of different um, methods. As he equipped Nehemiah, So Nehemiah, I'm going to give you what you need to go and to do this task. But at the same time as he gave Nehemiah these provisions with the letters from the governors and and the the individuals, the military sort of bodyguards that he had from the king himself, the army and the horsemen that went with him in verse 9, he also exposed the enemies of Nehemiah. We see this right here in verse 10 where it says, When Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. There has come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And then later on we see this even exposed even greater in verse 19 where it says Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arabian. And they come out and they scorn him, they laugh at him. And they, these sort of tend to be a thorn in the flesh of Nehemiah. But here's the thing. It came to the forefront very, very um, soon for Nehemiah. It's now, why do I say this is important? Because for Nehemiah, as he's beginning this task, it was much more beneficial for him to know what he was facing right up front than to have things behind the scenes that were hindering his progress and his work. It's, it's sort of this way. It's better the enemy you know than the one you don't, right? Like, it's much more better to know the individual and, and where they're coming from than to have a person sort of behind the scenes undermining and trying to bring you down, uh, backstabbing you, this type of thing. Because at least you know what you're confronting and you can prepare for it. The Lord gave Nehemiah all the provisions that he needed. He gave them uh, these letters for the provisions. He, he provided these, this military entourage. But then he also brought real quick to the forefront those we are going to try to undermine him. See, sometimes we could say it this way, protection doesn't always eliminate adversity. Sometimes it just exposes the adversity so that we can then respond accordingly to it. I always love when God's at work providing, sustaining in ways that we don't even expect. Back at home, uh, I've been on in our community, a soccer board. My, both my boys play soccer. I've coached my sons through the, a club team for years in our community. It's been a great opportunity for me to get around people, to also then spend time with my boys in this way. And, and, and just recently, about a year or so ago, I, I got onto the, the board for the soccer club. And uh, just recently, we, were, we do every year what we call sort of a community day and it's where we, have, we bring in inflatables, we have all this, this food, and we sort of just send out invitations to uh, people within like a mile radius or so of our church, and really just we have a day where we want to just our church to be open to them, to just get around people, invite them, very family-friendly um, environment, and so we've done that the last couple of years. Well, just recently, uh, the soccer board was coming to the end of the season, and um, and they were going to do a year-end celebration for all the teams. And, and they were going to do it on Saturday. And our community day was on the Sunday. And so uh, sitting on the soccer board, they were sending out all these texts about how we're planning this. We're going to be doing this. I said, hey, that's going to be a great weekend for the kids. I said, for the, especially for the team that I'm coaching, because they're going to be going on that Saturday for all the fun events that the, the soccer club is going to do. And I said, and then they're going to come to our church on Sunday, and are going to do the same, a lot of the same things on that Sunday for our community day. I just sent this out just as a validation that what they were doing was a really fun idea for the teams and stuff like that. Well, all of a sudden I start getting texts back. And they were like, well, why are we doing one if your church is doing something like this? I said, well, because our church does this regardless and this is something that the soccer club wanted to do. And I said, now you're more than happy. Everyone's just invited to this if they want. And they said, well, why don't we we just promote your thing And we'll just have all the teams and all the kids and all the parents come to your event. That way the soccer club doesn't have to pay for all the the activities. (laughs) Uh, Now you get the reason behind it. But listen, I was like, well, that's fine with me. So they sent out Facebook reminders and they let all the teams know they publicized a church event. And we had this great activity and we had more people come to that day than we had had any year prior and they promoted it god used a secular organization to promote our church event god provided in a way that i wasn't even thinking of and i and, and there's numerous other examples of things like that where god works throughout scripture you can see god providentially providing in his way and for his glory, using a variety of different methods, exposing individuals and adversaries so that we can glorify him through this and trust in him. His grace was sufficient in answering prayers. His grace was sufficient in providing protection and provision. But he also granted perception. We can say it this way. He gave uh, Nehemiah wisdom and, and foresight Vision to see the things that needed to be done in the task that he had laid on Nehemiah's heart. True wisdom comes from above. As we trust in the Lord, he then helps us to see and to focus on things as they they need to be. See, Nehemiah had been burdened. The Lord had laid this on his heart. And as he comes to then Jerusalem, For the first time, we see here in this text, verses 11 through 16, he was there three days. And in that time, he arose in the night, just took a few men with him. And he didn't tell anyone yet. At this point, he hadn't really told the people what the task was. He came there and he, it would have been very easy for him just to come in like, man, look, let me just share with all of you what we're gonna do. I'm excited, I've been traveling now. And you know how it is, when you get... You've been, you've been on a long travel, long distance, so I, I'm going to be driving 12 hours back today, back to Illinois. The, the worst time in the travel is like the last hour or two. Regardless of how long it is, it's those last few moments. Like you would just want to get there. You just want to get home, get going or whatever, get back into the routine, whatever it is. Here Nehemiah has been traveling. And he's seeing God provide already. And he's excited to get to work. He's excited to tell the other people, hey, look at what God's doing already. He's given me all the resources. He's answered prayer. He's given me protection. We have this task that we're going to do to glorify God. I mean, he's excited. And the last thing I think Nehemiah wanted to do was wait another three days. But he does. He gets there, and he doesn't even tell anyone necessarily what he's going to do. Why? Because he has the wisdom from above to stop, to sort of observe and and sort of get an idea of the task at hand. Not just to jump in not knowing. And and there's something to be said about excitement and anticipating and just wanting to just dive in head first. But, But sometimes it's wise just to take a moment and make sure everything's in place before you jump into the task at hand. That's what Nehemiah did. I believe that was of the Lord. As he goes, the Bible says that he walked, or he took his his beast, most likely his his donkey or his horse, and he he rode upon that out around in the evening. He goes and he, he looks at the different gates and the different areas of Jerusalem where the walls are broken down. So he can view and see what needs to be done, what he's going to then delegate and what he's going to do to direct the rebuilding of the walls. What I love here is that Nehemiah had a vision. He had foresight, we could say, as to what, was, what it was going to look like, what it was going to be. He had an idea of what, could be done. And he had a vision and, and saw perhaps what others didn't see because he saw them through God's eyes. God has laid this on my heart. And, and I enjoy this from a pastoral perspective. When an individual comes to me and says, Pastor, just recently one of the ladies in our church said, Pastor, I, I've really just been burdened with this group. And I would like, here's a couple of things I've been thinking about and praying about that I would like to do to minister to this group. You know that, like how exciting that is as a pastor? You, you have a person who is now wanting to minister, and the Lord's given them and burdened them in an area, and they've already thought through and they're excited about what they can do. They have foresight. In ministry or in, in task, we say it's sort of an initiative, but could we say it this way a spiritual initiative to do the things of the Lord? Not just waiting for someone to tell you what to do, but to have some foresight. Say, man, what look at what God could do in this area. Or look what God could do if we're willing and we could do some neat things over here. Like that's Nehemiah here. He has this vision, he's looking and seeing what could be done. Not just the foresight, but the discernment as well. He didn't ignore the problems. He, he wasn't ignorant to the fact that the walls were torn down. He wasn't ignorant. He wasn't pie-in-the-sky mentality that, hey, this is going to be a cakewalk. No, it wasn't that. He knew it was going to be a hard task. But he was discerning and how he was going to approach it and how he was going to lay it out for the people. He wasn't brash. And instead, he, he looked at it, and then he went to the people and laid it out. In verse 18 says, then... I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. The king's words that he had spoken unto me. And so then as a response to this, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I love the fact that Nehemiah realized he couldn't do this himself. He needed others to help him. It is wonderful to see a body of believers Unified together, working together for a common goal. It was great this week seeing the team at camp, Pastor John and Pastor Art and Sharon and the, the, the counselors and, and the kitchen staff all working together for a common goal of ministering to those young kids that came. It was wonderful as God used. It wasn't just one person. It was all of them working together, doing their part for the glory of God. Isn't that what a church body is? A collection of different people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different talents and abilities that when unified together in a common goal to glorify God, that God shows his grace and they're able to then have an impact in the world around them. It's a wonderful picture of God at work in One commentator states it this way, it takes both the hands of leadership and the hands of partnership to accomplish the work of the Lord. And that was Nehemiah as he discerned and he saw what needed to be done, trusting in God and encouraging the people around him to do that task. He gave him perception and then we see that God gave him and the people that were obedient to him a portion of That was right and appropriate. We say it this way. His portion is always abundant. It's always what we need, and it's always, not just abundant, but it's always sufficient. What Nehemiah states is to be remembered and relied upon in verse 20. In verse 20, he says this. We could say this was the encapsulating phrase or propositional statement of this whole Chapter. Oh, we could even say the whole book. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. So as Nehemiah is saying, I'm trusting in God to provide what I need. He'll prosper us. He'll give me the grace that I need. He'll give us the grace we need, whether we're facing a building project, whether we're facing a new ministry. He'll give you the grace you need if you're facing a a disease or or a, a, a spiritual battle in your life. He'll give you the grace that you need. He will prosper you. And that's not a prosperity gospel. That's different. Okay? This is a trusting and relying upon the God who provides the grace that's necessary to accomplish his will in his way and in his time. So Nehemiah said he will prosper us. And with that prosperity, we we could sort of break this down to the recipients. This just, for the Jews, enhanced their faith. This would just enhance their faith And I say this, for the jeers. So I have the Jews and the jeers. I I like to alliterate things sometimes. For the Jews, it enhanced their faith as God provided for them. For those who were jeering and mocking and scorning them, that was the Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. It was sort of an in-your-face statement. You're like, what? I mean, look at what Nehemiah says. God's going to prosper us. But you, you scorners, you mockers, you who have no faith in the one true God, you have no portion, no right, no memorial here. There's no place for you here. He's like, we trust in God. And if you want to undermine that, and you want to be naysayers, you want to keep negative thinking, that, 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 that's not where we're at here. That's not what we're about. We're about trusting in God to provide, and he will. And he's going to grant us. A portion. He is going to give us a right. He's going to set up a memorial here in Jerusalem because of his gracious provision. For us today, what does this look like? I think the same statement could be made for us today. That if we trust in the God of heaven, we turn to him, that he will provide and prosper us. Now, once more, we're not looking at prosperity from a secular perspective. It's not the American dream prosperity. Prosperity comes from a spiritual filling and satisfaction and contentment that even Paul stated, and he said, whether I abound or am abased, having much or having little, I am content. Why? Because his perspective was an eternal perspective. He understood that God would provide because he could trust in his loving Lord, his Father who cared for him. But he also knew that, the, that true satisfaction was found in laying up treasures in heaven, not on earth, because eternal, eternal treasures are just that. They're eternal. They're lasting. They're sustaining and they're filling We can find contentment. We can find all that we need in Christ alone. For us today, our portion is found in Christ. That memorial we have is in our Lord. The rights that we have as joint heirs with Christ come through Him and His grace, and it is sufficient in our life. As we apply this message, we could do it this way. Perhaps there are things in your life right now that you're going through and you're struggling with and you're saying, man, I don't know if I have the strength. You don't have the strength. So trust in the strength of the Savior. Trust that he'll give you the grace you need to get through whatever spiritual struggle you're trying to overcome. Perhaps it's addiction. It's addiction. Perhaps it's, it's a relationship that you're trying to restore. Perhaps it's, tr- it's overcoming bitterness or anger, and you're like, I can't do this myself. You're right, you can't. But God's grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we continue to trust in Him. We continue to look to Him. And He provides the portion that we need We can trust in a God who works in ways that are probably outside our own ideas of how things are going to work out. God can work in ways that we aren't even imagining or we haven't even thought of yet. Why? Because because he's already there. He's here. He's there. He is the I am. And he already knows what will be. And we don't. So for us, we need to just, by faith, trust that God's timings and methods are best and perfect. We must wait on God, but at the same time also act in the power of God when we know it's right, trusting that his grace will give us the strength we need to do the work that he's laid on our hearts to do. This morning, I want to encourage you remind you that God's portion of grace, God's portion that he provides to us is always adequate for the different spiritual adversity that we face in this life. So will you trust in him
1: and find the sufficient grace that you need in our Lord? Let's
0: pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your word and for the the reminder clearly that is given to us that we can simply turn to you and trust in you. We can come broken and needing to be healed, spiritually deplete, and yet if we come with mercy and humility, that Father, we can Look to you as a stronghold in the day of trouble. You know the ones who find refuge in you. So, Lord, I pray that we would remember your grace is sufficient. And not only is it sufficient, it is glorious and wonderful. And help us to simply trust in you, that you will bring yourself glory, and you will work out things for for our good. As we love and we turn
1: and trust in you. It is in your name we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we, we reflect, we think upon what we've heard. For some here, you might be here today and you're saying, I need God's grace. Simply for the face, the greatest adversity you're facing right now is the sin that you have and you've never been saved from your sin. Though it wasn't talked about much, the gospel of God's grace. His willingness to save us from our sin is His willingness to overcome our greatest adversity. Maybe here today, you've heard, you know that you need God's grace. You need His forgiveness of your sins to be able to enter into heaven. With some of our staff, they're over at the side door, my left to your right. If you'd be interested in talking, asking more about how you can have your sins forgiven, that you can be on your way to heaven and experience the great grace the amazing grace of Jesus Christ through salvation, let me encourage you to head over there. They'll gladly take the time to show you how you can be saved. For many who are saved, you're sitting here and you're wondering, how can I have the strength to go through whatever it is you're facing, physical battles, spiritual, emotional, relationship, and you feel broken, you need to be mended, and you're able to come just as you are to the Lord. Asking him for his grace. Asking him for his sufficiency and knowing that he provides it. As we bow our hearts before the Lord, asking him for his grace, let's stand to our feet. So that if there's anyone who is here, they'd like to go talk with one of the pastors. It'll be a little bit easier for them to get out of the pews, to head over there. But for many, it's just a time of reflection just say, Lord, I need your strength. I need your grace. Make it sufficient. Give me a portion of it today. Help me to endure and to push through. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you, that we can continue to go into your presence and ask for your grace. Lord, we thank you that even in the little little flare prayers we send up quickly, we thank you that you still hear them and you know and that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf even when we don't know how to, to utter phrases and prayers. Lord, for many who are here who are hurting and struggling and battling, I pray that you would give comfort. Lord, Satan is attacking and wants to see our our church and our families. He wants to see our ministry. He wants to see it destroyed. Lord, I pray that you would help us each individually and as a group to know that our strength and our grace is sufficient in you and that our strength is made perfect. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, thank you for this time of worship together. Thank you for the privilege we have had to bring praises to you. And I pray that you were pleased and glorified and honored by what was said, what was done, what was sung, what was thought about today in this time. Dismiss us now with your blessing, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Looking forward to seeing you this evening.